Chapter 15. By dawn the next morning, Brian and his companions found themselves well away from the capital. The fields and woods about them blazed with color, and were fragrant with the odors of clobbernot trees, wild flowers, and meadow grass. A hearty meal consisting of boiled potatoes and salted venison, and a halfway decent night's sleep, had done much to revitalize the prince. His mind was clear now, and his thoughts more centered. He had already formed a plan of action. Though he knew not how to get there, he intended to make for the small province of Willowbrook, where he hoped to find Niles alive. From Willowbrook, he and Niles would link up with Duane at Pepperill, then move on to Torkelstone to locate Dillon. With his friend's support, he would raise an army, rally the people against his brother, and take back what was rightfully his. It was a good plan, perhaps a little sketchy, but with luck it could still succeed. Everything hinged upon whether Darren was telling the truth the day he visited him in the dungeon. He thought of his friends. He feared for them. He knew now his brother was capable of anything, even murder. About midday they came upon a peddler in the road, who, responding to their inquiry, told them they were indeed heading toward Willowbrook. This surprised the prince almost as much as it pleased him. He knew it had been chance alone guiding him thus far. Perhaps, he thought, the gods will see us straight to Nile's front door. Even Omnibus might decide to help, though I have never been in his favor. Omnibus! the god of travellers and wanderers, also supervisor of the heaven's maintenance pool. As the hours passed, the boys grew more and more curious about their fellow passengers, and wanted to know why they had been dragged from their beds and spirited from the city. Where we going? asked Gnome, eyeing Bryant coldly. There was no doubt he blamed the prince for his father's death. I told you, said Malady, impatient with the boy, to the country where we're gonna live. When are we gonna get there, whined Denome. Soon. Now be good lads and shut your traps. Mum's got an awful headache. Hey mum, said Gnome, observing the prince. Who is this guy anyway? I told you already, didn't I? He's a friend of your dad's. Is that right? So how come I never seen him before? He's a very new friend. And turning to the prince, she said, I'm sorry about this, my lord. There you go with it, my lord stuff again, said Gnome in an angry tone. He ain't your lord. Only dad is. Or was. Were you buffing this guy behind dad's back? For a moment, the woman was too shocked to do anything more than stare at the boy. But soon, her complexion darkened. Seething now, Malady cocked her arm and punched Noam in the face, sending him sprawling to the wagon floor. De Noam, who was always very quick to support his older brother, looked on, stunned. You want some of the same? said Malady, seething. The little one quickly shook his head no. Then not a word out of you. Your kids will bring on one of me seizures in a minute. She found Brian staring at her, his mouth open. Gotta put some in their place every now and then, said the woman, rubbing her knuckles. Don't want them turning out to be brats. 
Two days of hard riding brought them to the edge of a forest. Bryant could no longer tell if they were heading toward Willowbrook. They had come upon too many unmarked forks in the road where he could do naught but guess which direction to take. They were tired and hungry. Their nerves were shot. And if the boys complained one more time, the prince would have a hard time not throwing them into the road and running them over with the wagon. And if he heard another word from their mother about the sorry state of her health, chivalry be hanged he was going to put her out of her misery. According to her, she had contracted every known illness, plus some the town physician could not diagnose. It was a wonder she was still alive. From the way her eyes would roll up into her head and she would slump against him, he was sure she had died three times upon the journey thus far. The sun was overhead when they came to a river. The rapid river, to be precise, though it had been anything but for decades. Here Cower turned the horse off the road and brought the wagon to a halt on the grassy bank. I think we should rest for a while, said the retainer, climbing down from the seat. As Bryant was dragging himself over the side wall, the boys leaped to the ground and ran to the water's edge. They stared at it with wonder on their faces. This was the first time they had seen a real river. Every now and then they had waded into the main sewer channel by the city wall, but it was only a few inches deep and not at all the same color as the water before them. Careful there, shouted Malady. They ignored her and waded farther out. You heed your mother or I'll box your ears. Then, in a dainty voice, she said, Would his lordship be so kind as to help me down? I'm afraid me legs have gone to sleep. The prince sighed heavily and climbed aboard once more, and proceeded to lift her by the armpits. You, you you, have to help, said Brian, struggling. No, I can't, replied Malady. Me legs are numb. He raised her higher, struggling even more. Just, just lift them a little. Sorry, my lord, once they're like this, there ain't nothing I could do with him. Eventually, he managed to hang her over the side of the wagon while Kawa guided her feet to the ground. She rested against the retainer while Brian climbed down, and together they carried her to the bank and left her lying in the sun. Thank you, said Melody with a grateful smile. I'm sure the blood'll work its way back into him now that they're straight. I'm I'm sure, said the prince, trying his best to remain polite. I should walk the horse, said Cower, starting for the animal. No, let me, insisted Bryant, leaving the woman rubbing her legs vigorously. But my lord, Bryant looked at Melody and then at the boys. Please, I've got to do something or I think I'll go mad. The prince unhitched the horse, walked it about for a few minutes, then led it to the river to drink. Fighting sleep, he splashed some water on his face and watched the boys playing boisterously. Don't go out too far, said the prince, feeling the need to caution them. Denoam gave him a haughty look. Says you. I added Noam in a spiteful tone. You ain't me dad, so don't tell me what to do. He belched in Brian's direction, which made the little one laugh. Then, slapping the water, he called, Help! Help! I can't swim! Brian watched them splash and dunk each other for a few minutes. Nice boys, thought the prince. I wonder if the river is swift enough to carry them off. When the horse had quenched its thirst, he led it up the bank and tethered it to a tree. 
He found a trunk for himself and sat with his back against it. The breeze was cool on his face. Soon his eyes felt heavy. No, no, can't sleep, he told himself. Not yet at any rate. We must put more miles behind us. But by now the sounds of the boys frolicking in the water, their laughter, their vile curses, seemed very far away. A blanket of silence descended upon the forest, and a moment later he was fast asleep. How long he was out he could not say but when the horse neighed, it startled him awake. He rose stiffly and looked about. The sky was a purple hue overhead and orange through a break in the trees where the sun was almost touching the horizon. Confused, he turned to the wagon, where he found Malady and the boys huddled by it. Why didn't you wake me? asked the prince annoyed. I didn't want to disturb you, my lord. You were so weary and, besides, it just started. The prince knitted his brow. What just started? A howl, long and loud, echoed in the woods in answer to his question, and was joined by a chorus of the same. The horse neighed and stomped its front hooves upon the ground, then tugged at the rein tied about the tree. Brian frowned and scanned the forest, then ran to Kawa and shook him vigorously. Wake up! Wake up, we're in trouble. The retainer alerted instantly. What? What is it? The prince kept his eyes trained upon the woods. Wolves, a pack of them. Hearing this, Malady's face went more ashen than usual, and she began to gag and wheeze. Bryant started for her, thinking she had swallowed something and was choking on it. But before he could reach her, Gnome stood in his way. He gave Bryant a stony look, then, with a casualness that surprised the prince, whacked his mother a few times upon the back and remedied the situation. What are we gonna do? wheezed the woman in a phlegmy voice. For one horrible moment, Brian had no answer. He surveyed the area. The tree branches are too high to reach, so climbing's out, and the river won't do either. Wolves can swim. The howls came again, louder still. The horse shied and neighed in terror. At a time like this, most parents would keep their wits about them for the sake of their children, but not Malady. She grabbed the boys and pinned them to her, screeching, We're all gonna die! I just know we will! We are not going to die, snapped Bryant, responding quickly. He scanned the area once again, and his eyes fell upon the wagon. When Kawa had driven it off the road, he had not taken into account the angle of the bank, and because of this, the wagon leaned sharply to one side. Come on, said the prince, already on the run. Help me put Push the wagon over. The others joined him at the sidewall, save for Noam, who stood his ground and folded his arms before him. What's that gonna do? queried the boy antagonistically. Save your life, replied the prince, straining against the wagon's weight. Or would you rather stand there and be ripped apart? Noam needed no further explanation and, wearing a sullen expression, hurried to the wagon. All right now, said Bryant, pressing all his weight against the sidewall. Heave! Come on! Put your backs into it! Heave! The wagon creaked, listed, and fell onto its side. Again! There came a rustling sound in the bushes. Barks and growls quickly followed. Hurry! They gave the wagon one more push, and it toppled belly up, creating a crate-like shelter with the ground. Quickly, lads, crawl inside, said the prince as he unsheathed his sword. Looky how long that knife is, said Denome, awed. I'll get in there, shrieked Malady, pushing the little one ahead of her. Now you know him and you cower, called the prince, and plug those gaps on the side. The horse screamed. In his haste, Brian had forgotten to untie it. He started toward the animal, but he had not taken two strides before the wolves broke from the forest. 
Too late, thought the prince, and he dove for the wagon. He scrambled inside and had barely gotten a sack behind him when a pair of dripping jaws snapped at his fingers. What happened next was a tumult of vicious growls and pounding sounds upon the shelter's ceiling. Bad fangs chewed on wood planking. Snouts pushed through between the sacks. And louder than all the rest and heightening their terror came the screams of the beleaguered horse. Given their cramped quarters, Brian had little room to use his sword. Despite the limitations, each time the light dimmed between the slats above him, he thrust the blade through and in this way fended off at least one of their attackers. All about them came yelps, growls, gurgles, the sound of Noam whacking his mother's back and shouting, Breathe, Mum! Breathe! The attack broke off as quickly as it started. They sat perfectly still sweat dripping down their faces, waiting for it to resume. But a second attack never came. The wolves were still present. They could hear them panting and sniffing. And then there was the sound of something heavy being dragged through the underbrush. This continued for some time, branches snapping, gravel dislodging, growing fainter and fainter until all was silent. Though Brian said nothing, he knew the horse was dead. Oh, they've gone, sighed the prince. Any wounds to speak of? Nope, chirped Dinome. He started to giggle. <laughs> Though I think me mum peed herself. Did not, replied the woman, cuffing him across the back of his head. Brian pulled the sack away and crawled out from beneath the wagon. He and Cower dragged Malady into the fresh air and leaned her against the sidewall. Noam and Dinome followed and eyed the carnage about them with excitement. One wolf lay dead upon the belly of the wagon, stabbed through the heart. Back by the tree line, three more littered the ground. Their heads crushed from the horse. Horse's hooves. His expression grim, Brian approached the tree where the animal had been tethered. The rein was still tied to the trunk. It had been gnawed through. Where's the horse? asked the little one, perplexed. Noam was first to answer. He's dead. The older boy turned to Brian and, with an unmistakable note of scorn in his voice, said, Ain't he, mister? Brian eyed the trail of blood that led from the base of the tree into the underbrush. I'm afraid so, but because of it we're still alive. He saw Denome's lip begin to quiver, and he knelt beside him. Can you remember that? Denome's eyes narrowed and he cocked his head. Of course I can. What you take me for, a dummy? He left the prince to join his brother, who was poking a dead wolf with his toe. Brian watched them for a moment, wondering if he still wanted children. Sighing deeply, he strode to cower. We'd best put some distance between us and the wolves. He peered at the western sky. I'd say we have about three hours before we lose all light. Let's gather up what we can and be on our way. However, they quickly discovered there was not much worth gathering. Everything that had landed outside the wagon when they had flipped it was now torn to shreds and scattered by the wolves. Their one food sack had been ripped open, the meat devoured and potatoes well chewed. Well, at least we've plenty of fresh water, said Cower, trying to remain cheerful. Swell, instead of dying of thirst, we'll die of hunger, grumbled Malady, retrieving her purse. <gasps> And look at this! She held up a broken chamber pot. This was a wedding present from my clave! Her eyes filled with tears. I still remember what he said the day he gave it to me. Only the best for me puddings. 
pudding. She sank to the ground and began to weep. Oh, my cleave, my cleave. Brian knelt beside her. I know this is hard for you. I know you feel lost without him. But now is not the time to grieve. You must stay strong, Malady. You must. And when we're out of danger, you can tell me all about him. She glanced at the prince, her eyes red and bloodshot. I'd like that very much, said Brian, thinking of Cleave and of what the man had done for him. He could not have been a better friend had I known him my whole life. He stood and offered her his hand. Ready? She took it and he helped her up. Ready. Cower and the boys had gathered some blankets and were tying them into individual bedrolls. They slung them over their shoulders and started across the river. First Noam, and then Cower with the little one on his back. In you go, said Bryant to Malady. Still sniveling, she gave him a sheepish grin. I can't swim. I've been a city dweller me whole life. Well, don't worry, it's only about waist deep. Even so, my lord, water and me don't mix. Brian sighed heavily, then lifted her in his arms and waded across. Remind me to teach you to swim some day. They put nearly five miles between them and the river, and when the prince informed the others of how far he believed they had travelled, a look of sheer surprise came over Malady's face, and she promptly collapsed in the road. Not again, thought Brian, gazing at her supine body. He nudged her with his foot, but she did not stir. Nah, when she's out, offered the gnome unperturbed, she's out cold. The light was fading fast now. Dark shadows already stretched across the road, and they could hear the calls of Hoop Hooper and Dither Birds in the distance, heralding the night. The forest would soon be alive with the sounds of other night feeders, and, not wanting to risk any more encounters, Brian decided it was time for them to call an end to their march. He hoisted Malady over his shoulder. Leaving the road, he led Cower and the boys through the trees and up a gradual embankment. When they reached the top, they found a small clearing from which they could observe the road. Bryant directed the boys to gather dry wood for a fire. Though it would be a beacon to anyone searching for them, it was also their best option to keep hungry animals at bay. Once the fire was crackling, the company felt somewhat cheered. Though Noam kept to himself a dour look upon his face, De Noam was most talkative. That's a big knife you got there, said the boy, eyeing the prince's sword. Aye, lad, it is. I had a knife once too. Did you? Aye. De Noam stared at the ground and pouted. Me dad took it away after I killed me uncle with it. Brian did not know what to say. He glanced at Cower, who was also at a loss for words. From the other side of the fire, Noam laughed cruelly. <laughs> De Noam's a murderer he is. The little one glared at his brother. You shut your trap about that murderer business. I didn't do it on purpose, did I, Mum? Of course not, said Malady impatiently, waving him off. She turned to the prince, saw his troubled look, and offered, Mumble the pig. Bad throw. Uh, certainly, bad throw, said Brian, much relieved. Could happen to anyone, Cower added quickly. Malady went on. Aye, landed in his uncle's foot. Deep. Tried keeping it clean, but it festered. After that, well, he turned feverish and died. Was he your brother? asked Brian, curious. No, said the woman. Claves. Speaking his name took her into her thoughts, for she fell silent after that and stared with vacant eyes at the fire. In the distance, hoop-hooper birds called and tiny night-feeding yaks barked. 
Bryant peered at the shadows about them. We'd best stand watch. I don't want anyone or anything surprising us during the night. An excellent idea, my lord. I'll start us off. Are you certain? Cower glanced at the others. The boys were tormenting a giant wood moth while Malady chewed on her fingernails. Uh, quite, my lord. Bryant left the retainer sitting with his back against a smooth rock and the sword resting across his lap. He returned to the fire, unfolded his bedroll, and spread it on the ground a few feet from Malady. Seeing this, Noam scowled and immediately placed himself between them. De Noam, finding himself on the opposite side of the fire from everyone else, glanced about at the darkness and quickly joined his brother, wriggling between him and the prince. Excuse me, said the little one, shooting Brian an arrogant look. Can you make some room? Brian scooted over. Terribly sorry, I should have known you'd want to sleep here. The boy shrugged indifferently. It's okay. Just don't do it again. Brian rolled over and closed his eyes, but he could not sleep. Something nagged at him, though he could not say what. At length, he opened his eyes and had his answer, finding Denome wide awake and staring at him. What? asked the prince, expecting an insult. Is me dad dead? Brian felt his stomach churn, and, looking in the boy's eyes, he also felt very small. I lad... I thought so. Dinoam looked up at the sky. After a moment, a tear spilled down his cheek. Yet he said nothing, nor did he make a sound. Instead, he wiped away the tear's track with his arm and rolled over, this time with his back to the prince. Brian watched him in silence, knowing there was nothing he could say to comfort the boy, nothing he could do to bring his father back. And just as Dinoam had done, Brian gazed up at the sky. He thought of his parents, and a lump formed in his throat. He had been able to say goodbye to his father, but not to his mother. Even if his name was restored to him, even if he regained his throne, life would no longer be the same without them. Suddenly he felt quite low and very much alone. He glanced once more at the gnome and sighed, envying the boy for the ease in which he could fall asleep. At the edge of the clearing, Cower gazed at the spherical moon as it rose above the treetops. He noted the mass of clouds drifting toward it. Hmm, rain, thought the retainer, scowling. Anything else you'd care to throw at us? This he directed to the gods. He knew they would not answer him. They never did. But that was because they wanted him always to find his own solutions. His life had been so desolate while serving Darren. All those weeks of abuse had bruised his spirit until it was good and sore. But now, with Bryant free, it mattered not they were outlaws. Serving the prince while on the run was the same as serving him at the palace. The only difference was the comfort level. For Cower, things had returned to normal. Perhaps one day, the world around them would return to normal too. It was then the bushes to his left rustled, and he heard what he thought were scampering feet. He tensed and gripped the hilt of the sword. Surely, thought the retainer trembling, staring wide-eyed into the darkness, one day the world will return to normal, but will I be alive to see it? Nothing charged him. After a while, he relaxed again, though if he had been sleepy before, he was now fully awake, even after his shift had ended and Bryant had sat beside him. He insisted on keeping the prince company. Together, they listened to the shrill sound of dither birds calling to each other in the darkness. They both started to speak at once. My lord! Kawa motioned for the prince to continue. Well, there's, there's something I've been meaning to say. My mind's been so clouded, and, and things have been so frantic. 
I just wanted you to know how grateful I am. My lord, replied the retainer, humbled, I only wish I could have spared you all that suffering. How were you to know that Darren had stolen my identity? He's a very crafty fellow. Too crafty, I'm afraid. I only hope there's a country left to rule by the time I've collected the arms and men I will need to reclaim it. I'm sure there will, said Cower, hoping to reassure him. Bandadon has lasted a thousand years. It is resilient, to say the least. True, replied Bryant soberly, but it has never suffered a man like Darren. They heard something by the campfire. They drew close. It was Denome, muttering something unintelligible. As he did this, he rose to his feet, then walked past them at a methodical pace. Though he appeared to be awake, he spoke not a word, even after Brian addressed him and asked him where he was going. Don't worry about him, came Noam's voice. They turned and saw the older boy leaning on his elbows. He's sleepwalking. Does it all the time. Brian furrowed his brow. Shouldn't you go after him? No, he'll come back. He always does. And presently, the little one returned and settled again by his brother's side. Say, said Noam with a haughty smirk. He brought his head down and closed his eyes, taking no exception when his little brother snuggled closer to him and flopped an arm across his chest. Brian and Cowell looked at each other. Strange family, said the retainer in a low voice. Brian nodded in agreement. Strange indeed.